Mine sounds, you know, sounds really good to me. But let us praise God and thank Him for what He has done for us. Like He said, it's a joyful noise. So I want to hear everybody's voices as we go and worship Him this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and celebrate. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and celebrate. This is the day. That the Lord has made, I will rejoice and celebrate. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice, I will rejoice and celebrate. He goes before me, He goes before me, He walks beside me. Within me, he's the lover of my soul. He's my defender. He's my defender. He's my provider. He's my provider. His overflowing mercies are brand new every day. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Celebrate this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and celebrate. He goes, He goes before me, He goes before me, He walks beside me, He walks beside me, He lives within me, He's the lover of my soul. Defender. He's my defender. He's my provider. He's my provider. His overflowing mercies are brand new every day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, celebrate. This is the day. That the Lord has made, I will rejoice, I will rejoice and celebrate. I will rejoice, 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 I will rejoice and celebrate. Amen. Amen. Are you happy to be here this morning in God's house? Y'all do me a favor and smile at me, all right? I'm a little nervous up here. It's been a rough week, but you know what? We made it to this week, and we're going to go on to the next one, next one after that, and God's going to see us through. So let's continue to worship and give praise to him this morning. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. The author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Take me as you find me. 
take me as you find me all my fears and failures fill my life again I give my life to follow everything I believe in now I shine your light and let the whole world see. He shines his light through each one of us as he calls us to be a disciple. He calls us to be individual and Christ-like as we bring his message and bring his love to this world that they can see him. So let's continue to worship and give it all to him and let his love pour out of us. Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you lord turn his face towards you and give you peace sing that verse again lord bless you Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Sing amen. Just to you, the Lord. To- 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much, dear Lord, for this beautiful day that you have truly given to us. God, thank you for everything that you have done, for the breath that you give us today, for allowing us to wake up this morning. God, for the week that we have been through, God, whatever it be, whether it be good or bad, God, you were with us. God, we thank you so much for that. God, we thank you for the salvation that you offer to each and every person, dear Lord, and for your son that died on the cross to make that available. God, we are so thankful to you. God, the psalmist calls out and he says, O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groanings. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray to you not one, or for no one but you. Listen to my voice this morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my petitions to you, and I wait. And we wait for Him to answer. We wait for Him to show up in our lives and to Hear the words that we have called out and cried out to Him. And it says, because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship you in the temple with deep awe. Because He heard our cries, because He is a God that hears. We are then able to come and bear ourselves before him and worship him in our deepest because we know that he's heard and because we know that he is the only one that can act it says but let all those who take refuge in you to rejoice so this day we rejoice let them sing joyful praise forever spreading your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy, with your joy. For you blessed the godly, O Lord. You surround them. You surround us. You are our shield in this day. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As those are making their way back, I would ask the ushers to go ahead and make their way forward. David can lead us in prayer.
Amen. Maybe. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Amen. 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 I'd ask that y'all go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. I titled this week's message by a very familiar phrase. So as you're turning there, I want to bring you into this. So it's now the rest of the story. And I imagine whenever that's said, many of y'all remember listening to the radio and possibly even sometimes seeing it on TV and the man standing there, uh, you know, Paul Harvey, and he says, now the rest of the story. So to help you with that, I listened to many of his now the rest of the stories and I found one really interesting that I want to kind of give to you back. So now the rest of the story, there was this young gentleman that would uh, you know pass by a firehouse on his way to school every day. And as he did that, he had this little dog, and he would take the dog into the firehouse, and he would leave the dog there because he couldn't have the dog in school, so he dropped the dog off, and then he would go on to school, and then after school was, he would come back by the firehouse, and he would pick the dog up, and him and the dog would head back home, and uh, you know, they, he, you know, this went on, and the firemen and stuff, they got to know the young man, and they got to know the dog. And they just welcomed him each time that they came in. And the young man was kind of skinny and real scrawny, so he had problems in school. And he had issues with a lot of his friends there or a lot of the other kids that went to school. And he was bullied quite often. And there was this one morning that he came in and he dropped the dog off. And one of the firemen noticed that as he dropped the dog off, he kind of scurried on out real quickly and didn't have any conversations with the other firemen or anything like that. And he stopped him real quick and noticed that he had a bloody lip. And his lip had been busted. And he's like, man, you know, so we've got to talk about this. And he wanted to find out what was going on. Well, uh, you know, the man that he was talking to was happened to be a prize fighter before he became a, a fireman. And he said, I want you to come back here after school, and we're gonna, I'm going to teach you boxing. And he's like, oh, man, that's good. So he goes on off to school, and after school he comes in, and uh, he gets his first boxing lesson. And he goes off after his first boxing lesson and goes home, and the next day he comes back, and he, he drops the dog off, and he goes on to school, and lo and behold, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, counterpart or the bully that he always faced in school they got into a tussle that day 
and he used his one boxing lesson that he had and fought him toe-to-toe, and it came out to be a draw. Both of them had bloody lips and black-eyed, but he had stood up for himself and finally made a name for himself in that school instead of being called by his original name, which is Marion. For those of you that don't know who I am talking about yet, it would be Marion, and of course, with that name, you might understand why he might have been bullied and uh, you know, picked on a little bit. But from that day on, he was no longer bullied because he had stood up. Now, come to find out that the dog that he dropped off every morning, the dog's name was Little Duke. So they figured that Marion's not a proper name, so you know, we need to give you a nickname. So the people, you know, all the men and stuff at the firehouse, they started, you know, they kind of picked up on Little Duke and they started calling him Big Duke. Now for the rest of the story. For those of you that don't know who this is, this is Big Duke or John Wayne. And that is the rest of the story. Hopefully you have already turned to First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. So let's look at this passage of Scripture that we have. It says, You yourself know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how boldly we had, or how badly we had been treated in Philippi, just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet God gave us courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we have not preached with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friend just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As the apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. Or... We were like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to you to any of you, as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witness, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless towards all you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treated his own children. We pleaded with you encouraged you. We urged you to live a life in a way that God would consider worthy for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Praise be to God. Whenever we look at this and we see the second chapter of Thessalonians, we need to kind of go back to the first chapter of Thessalonians and look at verse 5. Because in 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For we brought you the good news. It was not only the word, but also with power 
For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that, we, that what we said was true. And you know for our and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were there. So verse so chapter one, Paul gives us an overview as far as the trip and what happened while he was there. And before he got there, he gives us this understanding what it was. And then he goes in and he describes in further detail what the trip is. So that's why we have now the rest of the story. Chapter 1, we get the preview. Chapter 2, we begin to get the rest of the story. Whenever we look into the rest of the story and we see what we have here, there's four things that I want you to get from this today. So if you have your pencils and you got some paper or whatever, however you're going to take notes, go ahead. I'm going to give you these four, and then we're going to go through them. Paul modeled or gave a clear sense of priority. There was a clear sense of concern for the integrity of the gospel. There was a clear sense of love and commitment to those whom they had ministered to or who they ministered to. And there was a clear sense of a goal towards which he worked or they worked. Now, all of those things make sense to us, right? And for us, even in our lives today, it would make sense that we would have these. I don't know how many of you lead any leadership books or anything like that, but they have a book out that's called The Seven Keys to a Successful Leader. There's things that you need to have, and there's a thought process that you need to go through so that you can be successful. And you're, whenever you were growing up in school, I'm going to keep going through this stuff until somebody looks at me like they know what I'm talking about. Whenever you're going through school, they tell you that you need to set goals so that you know where you're headed to. Okay, so this is it. But the thing about it is, is sometimes we set such of a lofty goal that we know that we can't reach it, so we just simply stop working to begin with, right? I'm going to set a goal, and how many of y'all ever did that in high school or elementary school, middle school? You, you had to write out these goals, you, know, write out, you wrote out a goal that was so huge and so far out there, you knew you weren't going to get there, right? So you just didn't start on the list to begin with. How many of you, whenever it's the first of the year, you know, and you set these goals, you know, New Year's resolution, I'm going to do this, I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. Woo! That's so far out there, I'll never make it. I can make that goal all I want to, but I know I'm not going to get there. But our goals have to be something that is obtainable so that we can work there. But then there's things in the midst of this that we can place there you know, that are little markers for us to be able to see that we're actually on the right track. I don't know how many, you know, I, I could ask y'all to raise your hand if there's any golfers in here, but I know there's no golfers in here, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But for all of those people that are out there that watch and that's golfers, okay, I want you to remember, I want you to think about this, because whenever a professional golfer is putting, Okay, he doesn't look at the hole that's five or ten feet away. He picks a spot that's somewhere halfway in between the hole that he's putting it into and where his ball is, and that's where he looks at. So you get it? He's got the goal, and the goal is to put the ball in the hole, and then he follows backwards from that goal, and he picks marks, and he hits it to that first mark first and if it travels over that first mark then he knows he has it online and then it goes to the second and then the third and then it drops into the hole so maybe that'll help you out as we go through this that we're going to make it to the end eventually we'll get there 
But we have to have these things that set before us so that we know that we're on the right track. Now, Paul didn't necessarily have these set before him to know that he's on the right track. But Paul, whenever he comes into this, Paul knew why he was there. Why was Paul there? Paul was there to preach the gospel. And he was there to preach the gospel because he had been given, because it had been given to him by God Almighty. And God had made the plan and made it clear that Paul was supposed to preach to the people in Thessalonians. So Paul knew that. So whenever he gets there, he knows that this is the task that I am supposed to preach the gospel to these people. Therefore, he preaches it to them. How? Paul didn't use flattering words. The scripture tells us he didn't try to trick them. He didn't try to use any flattering words or any uh, you know, trickery or, or words that would make it seem like it was something other than what the gospel truly is. Now, I know that I'm talking about Paul. I know that I am talking about this passage of Scripture that was written in a letter to the church in Thessalonians. But I want you to see and I want you to hold on to this. Paul is giving us a clear view of what evangelism should look like and what the church in itself should be doing. Because we have the gospel and we are supposed to be giving the gospel to the world, but we're supposed to be doing it boldly. And then he's going to go in and he's going to talk about other things. The message came to them in chapter 1, verse 5. It said that the message was spoken boldly and with the Holy Spirit. We cannot speak the message boldly if we do not have the Holy Spirit and the message within us. If it's not your message, you can't give it. If it's not your life, then you can't speak it. I can tell you all about parachuting. Because one of these days, I'm going to parachute out of an airplane. But I've never parachuted before. So I can give you the details, but I can't give you the story. I can't tell you the exhilarating experience that it is as far as jumping out of an airplane. But I tell you what, I got hooked on NASCAR. I, I used to work for... Um, uh, you know, for Special Olympics, whenever I was with the school in East Lincoln High School. And what they did for us, as you worked for the Special Olympics, they had a special day at Charlotte Motor Speedway during time trials for the Coca-Cola 600. I'd never been to a race, never really had a thought process of going to the race. But y'all know me, I like food, free food anyway. So we went there. And they had a man, a nice catering place. You know, we could hear the cars going around and around the track. And me and my son Andrew and one of his friends, you know, we ate all we could eat. And then, you know, we moseyed on over to the, uh, to the racetrack. And we get in there and we sit down. I, I just picked a spot right there in turn one, right out of the exit of the, you know, the, of the, of the, uh, of the pits. Man, that's where the cards are the loudest. Man, that's where they're trying to get up to speed. Man, they came out of there. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, what is this? Then they go around the track, and then they come back around. And by then, the second time they come around, they've picked up all their speed. And then they start their time, and they go around it. And as soon as they cross the finish line, I want you all to experience this. Y'all really need to experience this. As soon as they cross past that, that finish line on the second lap, they shut that engine off. And it sounds like a jet plane coming by. It's just like, boof. I was like, whoa. I'm like, man, I'm hooked now for the last seven years. Time trials, here we are. Turn one. 
And then I made the mistake of going to the all-star race. Hated it. Just go to time trials. That's all you need. But there's a difference in knowing it and then being able to live it and to tell the story. Paul doesn't tell us what the message was, but he tells us that he spoke it boldly and he didn't use any trickery words or anything to hide it. I imagine somewhere in this time that Paul was there that he told them about his Damascus transformation. I imagine somewhere in there he talked about the time that he spent with Jesus Christ. Right? The story, the gospel, the good news that we all have. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the good news. He's given us the authority, right? He calls us the priest. We are a priesthood, right? Each and every one of us that believe in Jesus Christ, we have the authority to tell his story because his story is in us. This is not just about missionaries. This is not just about preachers. This is about each and every one of us that believe in him. He goes in and he talks about the sense that, you know, the priority. He says, God knew their heart. And God knew why he sent them there. How many times do you or I walk towards opposition? See, Paul talks about Philippi. But you have to go to Acts chapter 16 or 17 to find out the story about what happened in Philippi. This is where the slave woman was talking about it and was, was predicting the future because she had an evil spirit that was in her. And Paul and him, after several days of her walking behind them, saying that these are men of God and they're here to tell you about Jesus Christ, he turns and he rebukes the spirit and the spirit leaves. And then we find in a couple of passages of Scripture after that that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are now flogged or beaten in public for speaking the words of Jesus Christ. They caused an uproar. Not only were they flogged and beaten in public, they were then put in prison. Now the thing is, is that they weren't just simply put in prison. They were put into the depths of the prison, which would be the underneath, which would be all the way deep down in the dark dungeon is where they were. Rats running around about the size of dogs. I don't know if that's true, but it sounded really good. I'm pretty sure there were some big ones in there. I've seen the movies. Come on. But that's what he's talking about, what happened to them in Philippi. That's where they continued to sing, and at midnight they were singing and praising God. And the gates of the prison opened, and the shackles fell off. And they witness to the jailer, and not only him, but him and his family received Christ as their Savior. See, they had left that. And they come into Thessalonians, and they're, they're pretty sure and they're going to get the same thing. Because Thessalonians is known for there to be a hub of trading and transit people coming in and out and trading goods, and uh, you know, it was a huge metropolis. But we also know that they worshipped idols. Because Paul in chapter 1 says that I know that you have 
accepted Christ and you have accepted this message because you have turned away from your idols and you worship and praise the only true God. So they knew that the opposition was there. But they also knew that they were supposed to be proclaiming the message. And then they were worried about the integrity. Another reason why Paul mentions and talks about the fact that they didn't use flattering words or motives of trickery or even these, uh, you know, theological or big words that people might not be able to understand. And it was because in those days there were many people that would come by and we would kind of call them gypsies. And yes, they had gypsies back then that would come and sell you this tonic. That reminds me of a show that uh, you know, John Wayne was in and they had the, uh, the medicine man, right, that traveled around selling you this tonic that healed all ailments, right? Yeah, yeah, once you threw all your guts out, you weren't worried about what sickness you had. But they wanted to make sure that the gospel that was given, that no one would be able to come and tell them or to say or to even put them into any type of a category that would go along with someone that was just simply there for their motives or to trick them or to become wealthy because of what they were giving. The integrity. How many times whenever you have given your testimony that you fail to hold to the integrity and the standard in which God wants us to have it in. I know none of y'all, none of y'all, right? I, you know, I, I kind of seen those looks that says, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. As a, as a senior in high school, our church, uh, you, know, they, you know, there in Baker, Louisiana, had a gentleman by the name of David Presley. He was Elvis's Presley's stepbrother. He is the one that found Elvis Presley in the bathroom with the needle still stuck in his arm. And he had a tremendous testimony about what God had saved him from during that time that he was a bodyguard with Elvis Presley and all the drugs and all the women and stuff that was involved in his life and how horrible that was and that God had saved him from that. There's a lot of times as a person that would be growing up that has always been in church, you might look and think and say, man, my testimony's not that powerful. God didn't save me from alcoholism. God didn't save me from drugs. I, you know, I wasn't a member of a gang that God took me out of. My testimony's not that powerful. And we begin to put things in our testimony just to make it sound a little bit better. But can I tell you, the testimony of someone that was raised in church and accepted Jesus Christ is just as powerful as someone that was taken from a gang and accepted Jesus Christ. Because the miracle is not what you came from, but what he is taking you to. Regardless of what your life is, salvation takes us and brings us into the presence of God Almighty. Regardless of where you're from, your testimony needs to make sure it has to maintain its integrity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't add things to it to make it sound any better or more powerful. Paul and them didn't. They made sure that it held to its integrity. Paul goes in and the chapter continues on going in. And then he talks about, uh, you know, it was like, you know, they entered in and they came in. Not as someone uh, like a, an apostle or a preacher that would come into a church and say, okay, if I'm going to preach, then you have to give me this. Scripture tells us that as apostles, they had the right to demand that the congregation would give them something. 
He says, we didn't come in with that. We just simply came in as children. As children, we just simply came in and we sat down with you. And we began to do what you did. We just simply lived life where you lived. Right there in your midst. It was a sense of love. It was a sense of commitment. I've experienced this once. It's not in that church. It's in the other church. But the people wouldn't accept me as long as I was renting a place. I had to buy someplace so that I would show and prove to them that I was willing to invest time in this community so I had to live in this community. I thank God y'all haven't made me do that. Pay an outrageous amount for a house. I'm here until, until God doesn't want me to be here any longer. But they came in and they were committed to them. Talks about them toiling night and day. They actually worked. Paul was a tent maker. So it could be that they were making tents, they were patching tents. It could be that they were doing leather work and selling their leather work, but they didn't take anything from the people that was there. They didn't want to burden them. But then he goes on and he says that we cared for you as if a mother caring for her children. There's no greater love than the love of a mother, right? That's what Paul's using this. He's giving them this understanding that we didn't come in to take something from you. We came in to give something to you. So Paul and them made sure. Whenever we look at this, the scripture kind of goes in and it talks about that they not only gave them the gospel... But they also shared their life with them. That would give us this understanding that a lot of times whenever we take the time to spread the gospel and to actually share with the people around us, that we get something whenever we give the gospel. That whenever we are willing to give the gospel to tell of our story, there is something that we get in return from that. You can pick up that later on in chapter 2 whenever Paul talks about the fact that they have to leave and go somewhere else and how they were sorry that they were going to have to do that. But see, then we get this, this goal. The sense of the goal towards which they were going to. I want to read you this last portion here from the message translation. It says, you remember us in those days, friends, working our fingers to the bone, up half the night, <clears throat> moonlighting so that you wouldn't have to be to burden or so that you wouldn't have the burden to support us while we proclaimed God's message to you. You saw with your own eyes how <clears throat> how discreet and courteous we were among you. With keen sensitivity to you as fellow believers, and God knows we weren't freeloaders. You experienced it all firsthand. With each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God. So do you see this? Do you get this interpretation? Do you get this understanding? Paul and them came in and they lived there and they worked there 
so that they wouldn't burden the people. They wanted to make sure that the gospel held its integrity so they didn't use flattering words or big words or you know, suspicious motives. They just simply came there and they lived with them. And they loved them and they nurtured them as a mother would nurture their child. And then it says it goes further and it says that we were like a father that whispered encouraging words in your ears, took you by the hand and led you step by step so that you would live a life well. So that you would be able to live a life, as the NLT would say, worthy of God. Oh my goodness. Is that not what the church is supposed to do? Did Paul not just simply spell out in detail how the church is supposed to be? Did he not just give us in detail how we are supposed to be with the people that we live with and that we live around? Our neighbors? How many of us know the names of the people that live next door to us? I see hands popping up. We got to live with them. We have to show them how much we care. See, I, I look at this and I am just enthralled. I am just awed and I'm like, oh my goodness, how, how can we mess this up so much? How can we misunderstand what we are supposed to be doing as the church and as believers in Jesus Christ. How can we miss this? He doesn't want us to say something that's not in our story. So I have a story for you. So I went on a spiritual retreat, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I came back, and Peggy and I you know, lived in the luxury of our uh, you know, home, uh, you know, our apartment for an evening, and then she packs me up early Friday morning to head off somewhere in North Carolina. I, I've never been there. I, I lived in North Carolina for 17 years, never been there, spring-made North Carolina. And we went primitive camping. For those of you that don't know what primitive camping is, I'll give it to you in brief. There's three things, okay? No electricity, no running water, and no bathroom. Now, the trail was so rough to get there that Peg and I's truck couldn't make it. It's not four-wheel drive, so we couldn't get there in our truck. For those of you that don't know, Peg and I have a tent but the tent fits in the back of the truck. So there's no truck. So there's no tent. So we break out the hammocks. So we string it in between two posts. So Peggy's on one side of this little gazebo. I'm on the other side of the gazebo. And there's nothing in between us and the stars except for this nice bug screen. That was this weekend, so we get from there, and we go and kayaking down this river that's just off to the side, so I guess we, we didn't primitive camp, so we had running water. It was the river that was running right next to us. So we come kayaking down this river, and Jackie, our beloved you know, video person, uh, you know, thank you guys, so that, you know, ladies, that's back there running it for her today, but she you know, fell over, and the pastor had to save her. And we saw this 12, you know, this 65-foot waterfall. Now, see, that's the rest of the, the see, there's this stuff in between there. I saved Jackie from that 65-foot waterfall, 
No, I actually saved Jackie because I got her cushion that fell out of her, out of her kayak. We can't just simply give stuff to make it sound better. We are responsible for the gospel. And the gospel lives in us. As long as we, I was going to hold it up, as long as we read it. The gospel has to be alive in us. We have a responsibility. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility. That responsibility is to the integrity of the gospel. It's in the priority that we have in spreading the gospel. It's not for my benefit. It's not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the kingdom of God. In His glory. But we are all supposed to be walking with someone step by step by step to the glory land. And it's not just your spouse. See, That's why. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have Sunday school. Because not only do we want to spread the gospel, but we want to take you by the hand and encourage you and walk with you step by step as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. It takes a village to raise a child, right? It takes a church to walk successfully through this life that God has before us. It takes a believer, a family of believers to connect to that holds your hand in the worst of the times heaven forbid that whenever Darwin cut his hand all up that Wanda wasn't able to reach me because I was in the middle of the lake or river or whatever I did have cell phone and I did get to talk to her but that's everybody else that's here they're part of her family. They're part of your family. If there's struggles, you've got to be connected so that you can have help. I'm done meddling. See, evangelistic. Yes, I can't even speak right now. We, we must be about God's work. It's one of the first things that Paul and Silas gave us that sense to is a priority. We must be about God's work. Not tomorrow. Because tomorrow never comes. Today. Because today is the day. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for the words that you give to us today. God, I pray, dear Lord, that we would seek out this. And God, that we would understand our responsibility that we have. God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would give us the courage. God, the courage that we have to boldly speak what you have for us. In Jesus' name.
Amen.